Hey, I know you've heard me talk about trust-driven care, and I know you heard me talk about why it's so important, but let me tell you this. One of the aspects that just seems so small that is such a big deal with our software, trust-driven care, is the ability to communicate with your patients. Now, when I say communicate, I mean have a two-way conversation. That is way different than just sending out appointment reminders via text message. That sounds like communication, but I'll challenge you to this. Imagine if you could only send one-way communication to your spouse for a week, and imagine how frustrated they would be if they can't respond to you. Your patients are feeling the same way. I don't know why we ever started this idea that we should send one-way communication to patients that they can't respond to. So don't be that provider. In fact, why don't you become a provider that allows for two-way communication, text messaging. You can respond, they can respond. But let's take it one step further. What if somebody submits a question on your website? Could you immediately start a back and forth conversation with them? We've added that into Trust Driven Care. Now, let's say somebody leaves you a review on Google and they have a question or they have something where they don't understand what happened. You could engage them in a conversation and quell any of their fears. The end goal, of course, is always to make sure that they become a patient or they're a patient who gets more appointments. Why? Because that's why we're in this game, to help provide the right care to the right people at the right time. And when they're asking questions, usually means there's something going on. Trust-driven care allows for two-way text communication, along with email, along with surveys, along with forms, along with Google My Business integration, along with website chat widgets. It's all there so that you can run a better practice that communicates, grows, and has a massive impact in your community. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. This is Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm excited for you to be on this journey. Look, when I started my Clinic Gym Hybrid back in 2013, I didn't have a place to go for resources. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we're here. I hope you dig this interview. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am joined today by the amazing, the incredible, the talented Dr. Lindsay Muma. Lindsay, how are you? I'm great, especially after that intro. Yeah, well, I want people to know uh, you. You, you know, as uh, if you were a comedic performer, they would say that person puts butts in seats. Man, people want to hear your message. Seats. That's right. They want to hear your message, and I, you know, I recently saw you yet again at Parker Vegas, and afterwards you had quite a lineup of people wanting to ask you questions and wanting to get a signed copy of your brand new book. Yeah. That was yeah, a big week. Talk. I bet. Let's talk about it. So your book, congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I released it on my birthday and that was the week of Parker Vegas. So it was like, you know. You really try and pack it in. You're like, I'm going to travel I, across I the country. Any celebrate sort of my birthday. to celebrate things. And that seemed and like also, a good one. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, as they say, an achievement day. I mean, everybody's born. Like you should celebrate right, your birthday right. just regardless of what you achieve. But you actually have an achievement day now. So... That, yeah. that can be added to that birthday week. Fantastic. So tell us yeah. about the book. Well, uh, your pelvic floor sucks is a true thing that you can say. Most people know what a Kegel exercise is or a Kegel. I don't know. I never met Arnold. I don't know how you actually pronounce his last name. People mispronounce my last name all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's rolling over in his gra- grave that everyone is saying Kegel or Kegel. And one of them is obviously wrong. But he was the doctor for whom the exercise wherein you squeeze your pelvic floor and suck it up mm-hmm. into your pelvic cavity as far up as you can and do that, you know, a hundred times at every red light or whatever, uh, sort of kind of nonsense recommendation that people get. Everybody knows what a Kegel is mm-hmm. and all they know is that their pelvic floor can do this kind of sucking upward motion. Sure. So your pelvic floor sucks is a true statement, but it also, you know, I intended for it to sort of grab attention and that's what it did. So when we were walking around Parker Vegas, we just, you know, hold a copy of my book and people would see it and you would, you could see their eyes like, wait, did I just see that on a title of a book? And so uh, Dr. Marianne Demack was the editor of my book. And I, you know, when I told her what the title was going to be, she, I was like, you know, it's a little aggressive, honestly. And she said, yeah, but I think it needs to be. And I think 10 years from now, we'll look back and be like, wow, that was an aggressive way of kind of bulldozing the topic. But at the same time, that's what we needed because there are so many people. So I talk about it in the book. I just call it hand waving where people are hand waving away the idea that, oh, it's no big deal. You just pee your pants a little bit. 
as if it's something that that we can dismiss. And it's not something that we can dismiss because the other aspect of that title is that your pelvic floor sucks. Like it's not doing what you want it to do. Every single time that you jump, laugh, cough, sneeze, or even consider a trampoline park, you leak urine and that's not appropriate. And so the example that I give to people all the time is that if every single time that you laughed, your elbow started leaking, or if every single time you worked out, your elbow was leaking, like you would get that checked out. You wouldn't just put a pad on it and, and call it a day. That's really nonsensical to consider that, that we're just ignoring this. This is, this is literally a crisis of pelvic floor dysfunction that's happening because somewhere between one in three and one in five women will experience pelvic floor dysfunction. It also applies to men after, uh, if there's some sort of benign prostatic hypertrophy or after they get the prostate removed, significant levels of incontinence as well as erectile dysfunction, that is also a form of pelvic floor dysfunction. This is affecting people across the lifespan. We tend to only pay attention to it when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum. And obviously that's kind of where it gets into my wheelhouse because I really love taking care of pregnant and postpartum patients, but everybody has a pelvic floor. So I presented on addressing pelvic floor dysfunctions externally when I was at Parker uh, homecoming in 2021, I think. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So then they asked me, they were like, hey, that was really well received. Could you do that all day at Parker Vegas in 22? And so it was, uh, honestly, it was a huge deal for me to get invited to Parker Vegas because it's not a small seminar. This was like kind of a really big honor for me. And I was like, yeah, for sure. I'd love to teach more people about pelvic floor stuff. And I was a little bit nervous that I was presenting really, really basic information because when I taught it at homecoming, there's a lot more students there versus at Parker Vegas. It's mostly doctors in the room. There's only a, a smattering of students. Most of them are, mm -hmm. most of the attendees are already practicing physicians. And so I was nervous that the information that I was presenting was super basic level. But then you saw the line of people who were asking me questions after that presentation. And I, and I even, you know, I had doctors who were like, oh, I didn't come to your talk. I don't really see a lot of pelvic floor stuff. And I had other doctors who said to me, well, I don't have a pelvic floor. They were males. They literally said, I don't have a pelvic floor. And so the misunderstanding of this area of the body sucks. The function of the pelvic floor sucks. The only thing that people know how to do with their pelvic floor sucks. So I wrote a book called Your Pelvic Floor Sucks. And that's where we are now. <laughs> Fantastic. I always love being a podcast host when the, the guest will just talk for 10 straight minutes because, you know, it makes welcome. my job we've, super we've easy. Covered a lot. Yeah. I think we can wrap it up here. Uh, yeah, no, well, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a bunch of information in there that I think my listeners may be interested in because, you know, the leaking of urine that occurs, I'll just tell everybody, if you, if you are truly setting up the clinic gym and you quarterly, even every six months ran a seminar on how to not pee uh, while working out. Yeah. And your patients trusted you, that thing would be full of mostly women, but also men. And it would shock you how many people would admit to dealing with that. It would absolutely blow you yeah. away if you just bring it up. Along with that, I think one thing I'd love to pursue is when, yeah, I, I came out of that talk in Parker Vegas. And, you know, one thing Lindsay didn't mention that I think is important. You were a main stage speaker. Like I spoke that same year. I was off in the, the smaller rooms. You had the main stage, which yeah. was great. But that line of people that was asking you questions was not the line I thought it was going to be. I, <laughs> I thought that, I know what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah. I thought that the the line of people would be some students because you're they're talking about a fairly novel idea, right? So they're like, let me mm -hmm. understand this or wrap my head around it. And then mostly women around the childbirthing experience. Either they recently mm -hmm. had a child or they're starting to work with patients that have ch children, which I typically see as like the 35 to maybe 42-year-old female chiropractor, right? Yeah. I told you afterwards that line looked <laughs> look like the Republican National Convention. It was old white guys standing there asking you questions. And I, I was like, wow, it really showed me that not only were you doing a great job connecting the audience, but you phrase it in a way that like, hey, we're talking ubiquitously about pelvic floors. We're not talking mm -hmm. about, I think it gets, I think pelvic floor just gets wrapped up in the net of, you know, postpartum or because, prenatal because, care, right. Yeah, because it makes sense there. But yeah. What I think you did a great job in that talk is let me pull it out of that and say that is one of the experiences that could cause mm -hmm. this issue. Let me talk about some others. And the number of of you know old crusty dudes standing there asking you questions. The number really of Josh me. Satterley's ideal patient. 
Yeah, that's right. My my <laughs> beloved golfers. I always say my patient, my best patients are male, pale, and stale. They're old. They're old, <laughs> and they rich all white to guys. Learn more about how they clothes. could help yeah. their patients with pelvic floor dysfunction. Right. It was beautiful. It was right. great. <laughs> but it it made me think like, hey, even I am, I'm stereotyping. I'm overlooking the need out there. I'm yeah. not addressing it in everybody. So just the the part of uh, and I was super excited that those older men were willing to come up and say, Hey, I want to clarify this because it can, it resonated with me. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, chiropractors in general, we tend to be a curious bunch and we tend to, we, we want to make the world a better place. Like I, I, there are a handful of, you know, crappy practitioners in every profession, but I think in general, chiropractors really do want to help people. And when you realize how much this is impacting society at large and, and you recognize how, how deeply ingrained it is that we shouldn't be able to do anything about this, that people Mm -hmm. literally do the hand waving thing where they're like, Oh, well, you know, no big deal. All that's just a part of having kids. You know, it's, it's frustrating. And I think that people, you know, specifically chiropractors, you know, recognize there is a need here and we need to fill this void that exists within healthcare. We're musculoskeletal experts. This is inconveniently located musculoskeletal tissue. So we are experts in this and we need to, we need to start behaving as such. Now in school, we hardly get anything on pelvic floor function or dysfunction at all. Well, like, you, I mean, you I know, literally don't To be fair, that. you get very little about the pelvic roof or the diaphragm as well, which, True. you know, people are like, Wildly I don't think I've well. ever heard the diaphragm referred to as the pelvic roof, but I like well, that. This is, it's yeah, I mean, we're talking aspect. about a, a 360 <laughs> or a jelly bean, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's the, a ceiling. The whole aside. core canister yeah. there. You get right. very little on it. And so, I, you know, I had done a bunch when of. When people say, like, oh, I don't have a pelvic floor, I'm like, are you just like an upside down soup can or how's it work? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, things are not going nothing? well for you. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I had done a bunch of, you know, kind of putting together core and pelvic floor because a lot of my rehab background comes from DNS. And so dynamic yeah. neuromuscular stabilization has kind of like led the charge on, Hey, we're doing core function wrong. And the way that people are learning strategies for stabilizing their torso is inappropriate. And so, you know, I've been on this uphill battle since I first started into practice to, to make that a little, you know, to make a dent in my little corner of the world of how we're going to improve core function. But the pelvic floor was kind of, wrapped into that core and pelvic floor. It's yeah. almost like yeah. one term. And so to focus a little bit more on, on the bottom part, you know, underneath the pelvic roof <laughs> on the pelvic floor. And okay. The last time I did a podcast with you, you coined midnatal. Yeah. Nobody right? talks about and now midnatal. We have pelvic I still, roof. This, yeah. I still believe that, you know, there's, there's this prenatal, is gonna have to be my postpartum, next We're going to have to mid-natal. talk about the pelvic yeah. roof and the midnatal period. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. I just, I want to appreciate the, 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 the coined terms that you come up with whenever we do a podcast together. So thank you. Um, But if, if we focus a little bit more on the bottom part of this, like there are a lot of people who leave their first DNS course and they're really great at getting expansion into the abdominal wall. And they're like, okay, I'm using my diaphragm a little bit more appropriately now and I can expand Mm. my abdominal wall, Mm -hmm. but they actually don't expand all the way into the pelvic floor. And there's just such little awareness of the pelvic floor. Like even after you spend a 12 hour weekend trying to learn more about it, Um, and you know, DNS has certainly come a long way in specifically addressing pelvic floor things. The DNS women's health course I've attended three times because every single time that I go there, I learn something new and and it's something else that I can bring, bring back to the table and be able to help my patients with. But we, you know, the, the focus of paying attention to the bottom of the core, I, I think that we have left so much on the table because we haven't been addressing it because like so many women will come to me and they say, yeah, you know, like I talked to my doctor about it and they just said, oh, well, you could try a pessary. Like what? No, some, it, it, there are, there are so what many is that? things that you I'm can, not familiar with that term. So this is something that you would insert in order to help support the bladder from, uh, like from an internal aspect. So you typically like people can buy these on the internet, but ideally you would get fitted by like a urogynecologist or a gynecologist will sometimes do it to, to fit the pessary. You're so you can insert to- it mechanically create support that should yes. be there dynamically. Exactly. And so, so it'd be like and, a, and they're a, generally like a really bad ankle brace. Exactly. Yes. Okay. An ankle brace for your pelvic floor. 
not a, not a great situation. And they, you know, they generally are not well tolerated anyway. They're uncomfortable. They're cumbersome. It's inconvenient. Um, you know, like you can have a lot, like, like they'll cause bleeding and, you know, just, it's not a great situation. Nobody wants to do a pessary, um, pelvic reconstruction surgery. You know, they, recalled all pelvic mesh in 2019. There are still uh, mesh things that you that can be done, like a, a sling is made of mesh and that's still done. But like the, the actual mesh that they use for pelvic reconstruction surgery, every single one of them was recalled in 2019. Um, and then I don't, there's something happened in 2020. We stopped paying attention to other aspects of healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. So that, so basically we're still in the same place yeah. where all of that had been recalled and we um, came, we became a, disease unicentric, right? Like yes, very much singularly so. focused. Meanwhile, right. everyone's peeing their pants and we haven't done a damn right. thing yeah. about it. Um, but so, you know, people who do need to have surgery of their pelvis, like let's just make sure that we exhaust all options before that. So mm-hmm. one of the stories that I told in the book, I have, yes, sir. No, I was just going to say inherently what I see, like when you're talking about the mechanical stability, like there's these, oh man, these, I don't want to, these thoughts that like, if you've ever seen the studies on like um, dorsiflexion and plantar flexion with ankle braces on Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, even with somebody installing it, uh, putting on the ankle brace really well, which installing the ankle brace. (laughs) Yeah. But a 15 year old basketball player, high school basketball player is not Mm going to do that. Right. They're not going to take the time. Um, Even with an, you're still not fully restricting dorsiflexion and plantar flexion and you're not getting as much support as you think like this idea that some like, wrap some you know stiff wrap is going to not allow this incredibly uh you know all the force that's going through a single leg at plant on a court you know like the forces yeah. the vectors are off the charts and you think that little piece of fabric's going to do anything you're out of your mind and i think if we use that as a as a synonym to you know would you say the mechanical support it's like okay how are you going to support this thing that has a dynamic function yeah. And it's th- not, I'm saying 360 degrees, well, it's more than that. It's a spherical shape. So how mm-hmm. are you going to do that in torsion and, you know, lateral force and vertical force? And oh, well, by this the way, is, this any- is the same argument for like against Kegels as the only exercise that you can do mm-hmm. because a Kegel is single muscle group activation concentrically. So we're doing one right. thing for this dynamic right. unit of multi-layered so muscles. It it's doesn't the make old idea any of, sense. Uh, after ACL surgery, make sure the person gets to, you know, 90%. <laughs> Terminal of, knee extension, right? Yeah, with an, <laughs> on a seated, uh, you know, what do you call it? Leg extension leg machine extension. and then measure yeah. it. And it's like, okay, now they are okay, certified to go, go play a field sport. Right. Yeah, it's why, like, why don't you just go ahead and run across the soccer right. field, hard stop and I don't know what I'm trying to it. say here. The, these thoughts that people have, I'm like, there's no way that works because that idea is so- It's so flawed. Intellectually low, yeah. like, you know. Yeah. So anyways, so I actually, so pin in my last story, but one of the, like, I actually shared this, uh, for, cause I, I do talk a a little bit about core function, uh, overall. And I touch on diastasis and I touch on, um, doing some wrapping in the postpartum time period. Cause these are questions that I get when it comes to pelvic floor function. Um, and so I address those in the book. And one of the things that I shared was that I had kind of stayed away from doing any postpartum wrapping because I had the same idea about that, that I had about ankle braces from when I played college volleyball. So I had played at a small school. I uh, ended up needing to get knee surgery. I transferred to a larger school. I tried to play intramurals and I'm way too competitive for that. And so I ended up walking on at a D1 school and part of the quote uniform was ankle braces. And I fought so hard against the head coach, the athletic trainer and the whole athletic training department because I was like, no, I had an ankle injury when I was in high school and I had to wear an ankle brace for a season and I was so much slower. There's no way that I'm going to strap on ankle braces in order to play. I don't have an ankle injury. I came back from that. I'm doing well. Like this is going to make me a lower level player. I need to be at top speed. And I was a setter. So like, you know, I'm all over the court. And I fought them so hard on it. And they uh, eventually, they kind of like threw up their hands like, okay, well, this chick's a pain in the freaking butt. They did the hand wave to you? And, and they did the hand waving like, okay, we're not going to fight her anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they wanted me to wear ankle braces all the time. And I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Now there's actually research that shows us that when you are wearing ankle braces, like preemptively to hopefully help prevent injury, well, your, your highest vertical is significantly decreased. So it, anyway... 
we can go down rabbit holes on these things all day. But the point is, if what you're doing for the pelvic floor is trying to do, I mean, it's like monotherapy for Alzheimer's, right? Like all we have done since we named Alzheimer's is give one drug for the entire treatment of this multifactorial disease process that we have. It makes no sense. So it makes no sense that we have one exercise for the pelvic floor. It makes no sense that we would do this stabilization piece for a dynamically mobile and stable piece of the core's anatomy that is requiring Mm -hmm. that we have movement in multi-planes of uh, in all three planes that we have the ability to use our pelvic floor asymmetrically, right? Because if my right leg goes in front of me, my pelvic floor is doing different things than if my, my right leg is behind me. So if I'm trying to mm-hmm. wear a pessary and run, it, it, it's literally preventing exactly what you're saying. It's just like, if, if you sort of break down the argument for it, it doesn't make any sense. Back to the original story before we went on that whole weird tangent. Uh, what I want is for people to not end up in surgery and not have a way back out of it because if they do need surgery, then they need surgery. But it's the same thing if you operate on a low back that doesn't need surgery. Like you'll just have to keep having surgery because it's not going to get any better. So if patients don't need surgery yeah. and they get it, you I can't love the term, come back from that. They've got to go in there and clean it up. Clean it up. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, just who made the mess? vacuum and <laughs> like, clean it yeah. up. But whose fault is it? It's like you haven't dusted in there for a while, yeah. so we've got to clean it up. But so I, uh, I have this pelvic PT that I I work with and have for a number of years. She's wonderful. And pause real quick for those yeah. listening and are like, "Hey, I really want this book." It's called "Your Pelvic Floor Sucks," and they can find it at yourpelvicfloorsucks.com. Yeah. Yeah.com. Or right. you can find it on the number one bookstore in the world, where it was actually named as a bestseller, Amazon. Fantastic. All right. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So this pelvic PT uh, worked in a large orthopedic group and she was just kind of like, you know, off doing her own thing. She was the only pelvic PT for quite a while in the practice. And this patient had come into her and she had been recommended for a coccygectomy. Her surgeon wanted to remove her coccyx, wherein right. almost all of the pelvic floor muscles attach. Because she had something else pain. tethers down there. I can't remember what it is. So uh, it's a oh, yeah, little inconvenient <laughs> to consider, right? They wanted to remove the entire coccyx because she had pain that had persisted, and it was it was there for like a number of years, right? So it's not like they they this woman went in, she's like, oh, I have coccydinia, and then they're like, okay, well, let's take it out. She had done orthopedic PT, and. She was at the same orthopedic group practice that my friend and colleague was practicing in. And, uh, and this patient looked up like it, what I do for coccydinia. And she found Dr. Rainey, who's the pelvic PT, had like a handful of sessions with her, had absolutely no coccyx pain to speak of afterward because she had actually done the treatment that she needed instead of removing an entire important part of her skeletal and musculoskeletal structure. Like, it's and you know asinine. she would have had pain after that. You know oh, it. No, 100%. it did not solve the problem. It didn't solve the problem. And so this doctor was like, oh, well, she's already done PT. So that doctor hand waved, right? He is like, oh, well, she already did PT and that didn't work. So I guess she's surgical. But there are so many additional steps that you can take, right? Pelvic floor dysfunction has a variety of faces and a variety of ways that it shows up in the body. But it absolutely requires more than just one treatment or one thing. And so the the list of things that I offer in the book for like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? And just being open to the idea that a number of things that go wrong with the pelvic floor have multiple causes for it. Mm -hmm. So if your posture Mm -hmm. is terrible, your pelvic floor is going to be terrible as well. And so if you just start doing Kegels all day, every day, and you don't ever actually address how you carry yourself around all day, yeah. It's you're not going to get any better. And continuing to shorten concentrically muscles that are most likely already short and tight because that's why you see people who've never had any sort of pelvic floor expansion like as in childbirth or surgery or anything like that where they'll leak, right? Like it, it is like a joke for crossfitters that they're just going to pee all over their gym floor. Well, that's 
that's due to entirely too much tension in the pelvic floor. And then you add load onto it and the pelvic floor is going to give out because it can't withstand that amount of tension for so long. Yes. Now, one you, thing that I just so people know, because they cannot see what you're doing, you raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to finish your thought. this conversation. <laughs> I'd like to, but I don't want you to make it known that I have a question. Yes. That's a, <laughs> that's the international sign for wrap it up, lady. I've got to wrap comment. it up, would you? <laughs> yeah. No, um, but you know, we're talking a lot about the pelvic floor, primarily the primary dysfunction being leaking of urine or incontinence or whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's not the only symptom they could have. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we go so over. How about, go ahead. Could you shoot out a quick list of things? So you're a chiropractor, you're practicing every day. I, you know, I'm a chiropractor. What are some things where not a hundred percent, but these symptoms may seem like something else and it's, and if you're not getting fruit off that other thing tree, maybe dive into the pelvic floor, right? Yeah. Get Lindsay's book and understand it. So maybe dive into the pelvic floor. Like, Head like first. incontinence. <laughs> yeah. Incontinence could be a sign of like, we're not, Lindsay's not saying go after the pelvic floor and throw out your neurological exam to find out if this is, uh, you know, a, a disc, um, a, a disc herniation issue. And it's like a red flag, right? Like, right. But the right. symptom is the same. Somebody would say like, oh yeah, I, I'm having trouble urinating. Okay, so a sudden loss of bladder control or bowel control, right? That's red flag. And we yeah. all have that on our intake questionnaire. And I think that might be part of where the hand waving thing has come from is because mm-hmm. like, oh no, this isn't anything new. Oh no, I've done that for 20 years. Oh, that's been since I had my first kid, right? So they're just kind of checking yeah, the came box. On like, no, so slow. It's not a big deal. It's right. Like, it's not, it's not even it's any sort deal. of concern. Yeah. So I intentionally ask on three separate occasions on our intake form. And then I, and I ask in person as well. Like I audibly say, do you leak any amount of urine when you laugh, jump, cough, sneeze, or run? And so that mm-hmm. usually will kind of tease out a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. I also have questions on the, um, on the intake form that are just checkboxes as well of pelvic floor dysfunction symptoms. So uh, stress urinary incontinence, which I have been surprised at how many people don't know what that term is. And I think maybe it's just because I've, I've sort of been investigating this for such a long yeah. time that it seems so common, but a lot of what patients don't know what stress urinary incontinence is. When you have increased stress on the bladder, that the bladder leaks any amount of urine. So okay. that's where the laugh, cough, jump, sneeze, run, those types of things are increasing stress yeah. down into the pelvic floor, which increases stress on the bladder and then the bladder leaks. So the hypothesis behind that is that if there's tension that's already being held in the pelvic floor, and then you add a quick burst of more tension, that that's what's ca- kind of causing it to to de- be able to no longer stabilize, and then you just kind of lose mm-hmm. control and and you begin to leak. So, uh, stress urinary incontinence, urge incontinence, which is I have to go to the bathroom, and that means I have to go to the bathroom right now because I didn't get any early signals from the you know the stretching of the detrusor mm-hmm. muscle kind of signals to the brain like hey the bladder is getting a little bit full, locate a bathroom within the next hour. And then, you know, within the next 30 minutes, within the next 10 minutes, people with the urge incontinence, they don't really get those signals that their bladder is filling. They just get the signal that like, it's freaking full and it's time to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. right now. And if you don't go to the bathroom right now, then you will have incontinence. So it's uh, a little bit different than stress urinary incontinence. There's also bowel incontinence. That is, so obviously like red flags, spina, cauda equina type of things that you would... Mm -hmm consider, but there are some people who along with their stress incontinence have bowel incontinence. So when they laugh, jump, cough. Because it's the same sheet of, of tissue that's covering the, uh, it's, it's a continuous sheet, right? It doesn't, there's not a a line between the, um, anus and the urethra, like so if there, one is there is, the other. right? Like the perineal body is in between those two and the perineal body is also known as the taint or the gooch for whoever is, you know, not okay. speaking. Very technical in, terms. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> it, it helps, you know? Um, but so that is between there and the rectum, you know, is a closed unit and the vagina is mm-hmm. a closed unit. And then you have the urethra and the bladder in front of mm-hmm. that. And so the sling of muscles that's underneath of there mm-hmm. fascially is going to be connected, but the levator ani group is kind of like at the back part of the pelvic floor a little bit more. And then you have the anterior uh, urogenital triangle that's at the front part. So there is a difference between the front and the back part, but they can 
absolutely dysfunction together. They can function together or they can absolutely be completely dysfunctional, like misery or one or the other sort of thing. Right. Or you can have one or the other. You're more likely to not have bowel incontinence. That's significantly more uh, problematic. And just from a quality of life standpoint, you know, if like people don't usually let something get to that point before yeah. they've tried to do something about it. But um, hemorrhoids are another form of pelvic floor dysfunction that a lot of people don't really consider. So hemorrhoids are yeah, you know, interesting. normal blood vessels, but as those can be inflamed, um, then you can start to have pain or even like a prolapse of the hemorrhoids. You can have uh pelvic prolapse of any sort. So you could have a mm. bladder prolapse, which is known as a cystocele. You could have a uterine prolapse and, uh, and prolapse is kind of like its own beast. Um, but are those, you know, I address because they're internal. Are those typically asymptomatic or no? Maybe so are they not painful? Like is the primary symptom, not pain? It's something else, dysfunction, et cetera. So a lot of people with prolapse, might not have pain, um, yeah. but they do notice dysfunction. So depending on the grade like, of the Like prolapse, the rotator cuff. I'm, sh I'm sure you've seen people come mm -hmm. in, I can't move my shoulder. It doesn't really hurt, but I just can't move it. And you're like, oh my God, that's a rotator cuff tear. Right. I think exactly. it's important. It's completely torn because the muscle has been entirely separated and you're like, right. have nerve endings touching each other. Right. Right. But that's a, that's a weird thing in my mind is like, huh, it tore all the way through and the ends, the frayed ends are not painful. Right. 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 Yeah. And you like, can that also happen in these, these prolapses? So like you don't actually have the, a, go ahead. The, the organs have descended into a place where they do not belong. And uh -huh. so the receptors that you have in the place where the organ has descended to will often alert you that there is something going on here. So sometimes right. people but might the have the organ like, itself. If you have a uterine prolapse, for example, the uterus not is not sending painful. pain signals. Correct. Correct. Okay. So in that instance, you know, the, the, cervix is lower into the vagina. And so sometimes people will like, it, it will feel like they have, uh, this is not something you're familiar with, but it'll feel like they have a tampon in when they mm -hmm. don't, because there's something in their vagina. And so the sensory receptors that they have in the vagina are letting them know, Hey, there's something here. Mm -hmm. So it feels like there's something in there. So that's usually not until beyond a, a grade two, uh, uterine prolapse with, uh, so you can have a bladder prolapse where the urethra is actually starting to come out. So you go to wipe and there's something there, right? And so the, depending on how severe it is, like they will actually feel something in between their labias. And so that, um, that can be uncomfortable because internal tissue isn't supposed to be coming external. It's not specifically like the most painful thing, but so to you your question, quickly, 15 minutes the ago, value of, uh, much softer toilet paper at that point, right? Exactly. Yes. What well, you the external yeah, tissues sure. are, can handle the single ply, but 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 you can't you can't be using single yeah. ply on internal yeah. tissues that are now Especially external. But the your first time they've ever seen it. Anyways, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, real serious. So you had asked, like, what can we be maybe you looking for? So SI dysfunction, uh, you know, how often the SI joints are actually the driver of of pain remains to be seen, but you know, if you have kind of persistent SI pain, well, why don't we check what's happening in terms of internal trigger points or external trigger points? So I don't do internal work in my office. I have a pelvic PT who's here twice a month. I told her I was, she's, you know, like 35, 40 minutes away. And I said, Dr. O'Neill, if you get here, I will fill your schedule because I need to refer out for this. And you mm -hmm. get a ton of resistance often to patients going to, to have internal pelvic work done. Honest to God, one of my patients was a lingerie model and she was weirded out by internal pelvic work. I was like, you have modeled mostly naked yeah. in front of people you do not know to then be like, it's, it is very surprising the people who are yeah. like a little bit more concerned about this type and of thing. I'm always amazed by the flip side too. The people are wildly comfortable with something. You're like, well, I thought you were the, I thought you were going to be concerned about this, but you yeah. seem to be totally fine with yep. I think that's getting a, your that, pants off as soon as you get to the doctor's office. Yeah. You know, that I think is important to state because I think there is an assumption by some people that as soon as you start working in the pelvic floor, you must work internally. Right. And your right. book makes it clear. Again, the book is Your Pelvic Floor Sucks, available <laughs> at yourpelvicfloorsucks.com. Uh, but as you. reading through there, you know, you realize like there's a ton of musculoskeletal work you can do yeah. without having to go internal. Yes. Now, that's not to say uh, you might need to, what would you call it? Be creative with your 
towel placement and, you know, give some clear patient communication and whatnot of where you're going to be working. Uh, right, right. And those so, are important I mean, like steps, as a female, it's less yeah. concerning for me in practice, honestly. And that, you know, I mean, we live yeah. in a litigious society and I, mm-hmm. I am not unaware of the fact that some of the things that I do, but I mean, some of the things that I do just in passing in practice, like today I went to do uh, an adjustment on the SC joint, right? So I put mm-hmm. the uh, drop piece underneath the, her shoulder and I did this on the patient. I accidentally hit her boob. I said, Oh, sorry, I booed you. Right. And then I thought about that for a second. I was like, man, like if I was a male doctor and this is a female, like, would I get away with saying, sorry, I boobed you? Like, Uh, it's one of the benefits of being a female practitioner, but if you're professional about this, like there are, there are significantly more male OBs working Mm. in this population, right. Then there are male chiropractors working with this population and women don't think anything of seeing a male OB. It's just not something that they're considering. And so recognizing, Hey, these are some of the symptoms that you have going on. You've had this persistent SI pain. It's not responding to the care that I normally do that I would expect. So I'd like to take um, just a chance to kind of feel the outside yeah. of your pelvic floor, the same way that we feel on on your glutes back here, right? I want to palpate just inside the ischial tuberosities and see, is there tension there? Is there discomfort there for you? You know, palpating over the obturator internus, sometimes you can get hip pain that's referred directly from internal pelvic trigger points, right? So if you look at the Travell and Simmons map, that you can actually kind of see where some I did learn that uh, coming from. Janet Travell was the first female White House physician. Physician, from yeah, that's correct. That's awesome. Yes, one of her students came up to me after uh, Parker Vegas. He came to get a signed copy of the book, and he was like, "Janet, Janet Travell would be proud of you." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." And then he just kind of nodded at me, and I was like, "Wait, do you?" Did you know her? He said, yeah, I was her student for two years. I was like, what? Wow. This is the coolest connection I've ever made. It was so awesome. Um, He sent me a whole bunch of research on the incidence of um, uh, urinary incontinence in nursing home patients. Because that's that's the thing at the other end of the life cycle, where if you don't take care of this now, your family is not really going to want to clean up after you if you do not have control of your pelvic function. So it's a quality of life issue. I mean, it's a quality of care function too, because there are a lot of people who would be happy to house their parents in their older age. Like, Hey, just come live with us, mom and dad. It's easier. Or, you know, now that your dad has passed away. Like if you can't sit on the couch, unless there's plastic down, that's not an easy way of living. Then now we're looking at. There's stress on both sides of those equations, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Anyways, uh, going back. So symptoms that look like, common MSK symptoms that might be yeah. pelvic floor issues. Yeah. So, so if you're got, kind of like banging your head SI against pain. a wall yeah. with a, a patient that you thought was going to be better and you know, they're still showing up with the same trigger points. They're still showing up with the same joint dysfunction. I'm not talking about from a pain standpoint specifically, right? But like if you're doing your best work yeah. and this patient is, is actually not getting any better from an objective standpoint where they still come in with the same exact joint dysfunction, despite the fact that you did the best adjustment on that TL junction that wasn't moving very much. And you got that sucker moving. You send them home with exercises. They're in your gym and they're doing the things that are appropriate for them. And then they come back and they have the exact same dysfunction again. Okay. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper and let's see, is this actually coming from the pelvic floor? Because if it is, then it doesn't matter what you're doing outside of there. It's not going to get any better until you address the underlying function. And so it might even be that the patient is actually going home and doing things that are working against your treatment. So if Mm -hmm. you're working on improving core stabilization and you're like, okay, so I want you creating this pressurization and expansion of the abdominal canister, as opposed to sucking in and, and preventing yourself from being able to create stability internally. I want you doing this. And they do right. that in the gym and then they go get in their car and they're doing a hundred Kegels at every stoplight because that's what their OB told them that they should do because they've, you know, had this, some sort of dysfunction since they gave birth and whatever, you know, people are actually sabotaging the good work that you're doing in the office. Be like, so even just having the conversation is helpful. It'd be like having a, I mean, a way to think about it after reading your book is if you had a person coming in for cervicogenic headaches and you're mm-hmm. like, uh, no matter what, I always give uh, shrugs with heavy weight as the exercise. And right. It's like, 
you know, some muscles don't need to be stronger. And in fact, right. we need to work on taking tension out of them. It's like, I don't yeah, care. Your traps actually probably don't need every, more work. <laughs> yeah. Every stoplight, I want you grabbing these you know, 100 pound DBs and just shrugging <laughs> yeah. it out. Okay. 100 shrug times. It up. Shrug it up. Yeah. Let's just and then when you get to work, out. shrug it up. Yeah. And you're about to leave to go home, shrug it out. And it's like, are you an idiot? I'm like, well, that's kind of what Kegels are doing. Yeah. That is not to say there is not, there are not patients out there like every single exercise where that is the appropriate intervention. Yes. You know, like, yeah. Then that, but it, what an expert is, is the person that knows like for that patient, that's the worst thing you can do. And for that patient, that's the best thing you can do. Yes. You know, so and that's the definition of a doctor. The, the other thing is that, you know, recognizing what will translate. So the, the, the purpose of doing a Kegel is to do a Kegel, right? Like, at, there, there's not a time during the day where like, oh, I have to pick this up. So I need to do a Kegel in order to make that happen, right? Like, I mean, unless you're doing vaginal yeah. weightlifting and then good on you, but like, there's not really a, a, a translatable skill from being able to lift your pelvic floor up and in other than to do the repetition of the Kegel. So mm -hmm. if you can't apply that to daily life, then why is that the exercise that you're sending the patient home with? You know, and I mean, like, it's not like having somebody go home with, uh, you know, end range cervical extension, like McKenzie exercises. It's not like they're, that that's a, a functional thing that you want them doing in order to be mm -hmm. able to look up, but it does solve a problem. Doing Kegels doesn't solve a problem. It actually just perpetuates one. So sometimes it's helpful to have a patient create single muscle group activation of the pelvic floor and squeeze their pelvic floor so that they know what it feels like. Cause so many people are so disconnected from this area of their body. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it's not even really a, a cue that I give a lot because I don't want to give the idea that that's the best thing to do. You know, it, it, again, it's, it comes up every once in a while of like, okay, well, what if you actually squeeze this really, really tight? Now do you feel the difference between when it's squeezed tight and when it's fully relaxed the same way that like you know, if people are holding tension in their traps, you might actually have them shrug their shoulders up and hold that. Okay. Now, when you let them go, now do you feel how tight they were before? Okay. And so for comparison's sake, you might do that. Yeah. Quick question. Uh, typically postural muscles don't get significant DOMS, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness, mm -hmm. whereas prime movers like, you know, so, uh, if you have somebody do split squats or some, something like that, for the first time in a long time, even as part of rehab, and they come back uh, and they'll be like, oh my God, I had no idea where, I now know where that muscle go or how far down on my leg that thing inserts. And you're like, yep, mm -hmm. you just started using all of it. Right. When you get these people that basically have a either low tone environment or finally relax for the first time, do you get a lot of soreness? Um, I'm trying to think of the the language patients as you, but soreness, tightness. Um, you know, that kind of not, like what you would get with typical muscle. Right. No, not, not usually, honestly. And okay. I, like, I'm going so slowly stepwise through this. And because there's so much patient education that's involved with it, like, yeah, a person could write a 274 page book, <laughs> once again, called your pelvic floor sucks available at your pelvic floor sucks.com or Amazon. Or uh, Amazon. You are yeah. the best salesman of my book. Thank it's, you. It's number one in categories. It's number one in books that suck. And then it's also number one in pelvic floor. <laughs> it, it, uh, it was the number one new bestseller for three straight weeks. Nice. I was like, wow, people are actually like excited about reading this. This is wild. Awesome. Like this is, yeah. this is an exciting, exciting thing. I had, there has not been a single day that I haven't sold at least one book. Congratulations. I released my book. So uh, yeah. Awesome. And like people in the Netherlands and the UK and Australia and Canada and India, yes. I think that's all of them. All of those places, there are people who have my book. Yeah. I have no idea how they found it, but it's so exciting because we don't care. You know, the, the purpose of writing the book. So I said I presented at Parker Vegas in 22. And then the questions that I got from that, because I really thought that I was just hitting the basics. And the number of questions that I got following that up, I was like, you know what? I actually just need to put this out into the world where it's not like you have to show up to learn from me for 12 hours over a weekend course or anything like that. Like, yeah, we have that available, but I want to, I want to be able to impact more people. And one of the cool things about books, if you really think about it, it lets you get that kind of one-on-one -on -one experience with a person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whose brain you'd like to pick, right? 
so, you know, there, there are a couple more than one hour, like little sessions with me actually writing a 275 page book. Like there are a lot of my time, effort and energy went into writing that book, but it's not like you're actually paying for my time, effort and energy. The book's like $22, right? Yeah. So you paying like just a nominal fee to have this that you can then revisit and you can implement the exercises and you can go back and look at. And it's not like a high ticket item where like, okay, my, I, I keep my, my classes relatively uh, affordable intentionally. So I have a postpartum rehab class. It's six weeks long. It's fan freaking tastic information and, you know, self-guided, you can do it at whatever pace you want to. It's $99. I made it $99 because like people can afford that. It's not specifically what the class is actually worth. It's just the fact that I know that there's not a big barrier to entry to people paying a hundred bucks to get into a class. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is more information for less money, right? And you have it forever. Like I, I, my, my hope is that people will revisit the book because Mm -hmm. it's there for them. And what I wanted was to put something out into the world that would impact a lot of people and not have a, a like a large barrier to entry, right? Like, yeah, you got to read the book and you need to do the exercises that are recommended in the book. But the people who are doing that, it's, it's really cool to hear from them. I have a, a pretty competitive power lifter um, who had reached out to me and she was like, you know, I was seeing a pelvic PT getting adjusted regularly. And every since she's not had kids and every single time that she put her weight belt on, she was leaking a little bit of urine and she had this persistent SI pain. She was like four chapters into the book and she was like, just so you know, I have started uh, the exercises that you mentioned in the book and I'm not even done with them. And I just squatted yesterday. It was one of the heaviest sets I've done. I had no SI pain and I got, and she was over like 85% or whatever her threshold for putting a belt on. And she had no leakage when she put the belt on. And so like, this is, this is amazing, right? Like I didn't put my hands on that person. I wasn't able to actually like go and be with that person. And Mm -hmm. she didn't have to pay my hourly rate to get the benefits of working with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is a win for everybody. And so obviously I want people to buy the book, but like, I want people to read the book. I want people to actually get something out of it because the, the difference that you can make when you start to realize like, this isn't just something that you have to deal with for the rest of your life. Like Mm -hmm. my, my hope is that that brings hope to more people than, than think is available right now. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I like the way that the book is set up in the you know, kind of talking about what is the problem and then like building awareness and then going into interventions. I think so many books on subject like this, they go right into interventions. And the the more, you know, I practice, the more I realize like getting clear about what, how to identify the problem mm-hmm. help, helps having, how it helps you to have such a better success rate. So I'm really happy with that because not what I learned is, you know, not all pelvic floor issues are the same pelvic floor issues. and you may be getting some overlay of other therapeutic, like if somebody's already doing a hundred Kegels at every stop sign kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to peel that layer of the onion back to go like, what am I really looking at here? You know? Right. Right. And, and then get an idea of what's going on in the pelvic floor and then make an approach. But all that is to say like exercise are important, but the right exercise at the right time for the right reason is the most important thing. Yes. And you can't like, there's, there's just not a blanket statement. So the, I, I do a little bit of a, a recommendation. Well, one blanket triage. statement I learned is your pelvic floor your sucks. Your pelvic floor sucks. That's a blanket yeah. statement. That is true. That one applies. But the, I do a, a recommended triage, right? So there, if, if your jaw is dysfunctional, if your posture is dysfunctional, if you have excess tension in your body that you have like the most difficult time letting go of, if your breathing sucks, if your foot function sucks, if your nutrition is awful and you're, as David Seaman says, you're doing drive-by self-shootings, right? Any, any of those things are happening and you don't address some of those, then you'll have dysfunction show up in your body. So what I, what I encourage people to do when they're reading is like, okay, pick the most dysfunctional thing and focus on that for the next three weeks and just see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you have this clicking in your jaw that hasn't gone away and you haven't done anything about it. Well, that is affecting everything below and above your jaw, because this is a closed kinematic system. So the things that are within here are affecting the other things that are within here. I don't know if you know the song, there's a song about it because the foot bones connected to the leg bone, right? So like we, Uh, we have to start paying attention to 
how everything in the body is connected. And if you don't, then you'll miss the the bigger picture. And so triaging, like what do you think is actually your most dysfunctional thing that you have going on? Mm -hmm. And if you work on that for a period of time, Mm -hmm. what happens in your pelvic floor? Do you get up less times per night to go to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Do you have less leaking when you do leak? Do you yes. leak less frequently? Do you have less symptoms of prolapse? Do any of those things get better simply because you started working on your jaw function or your foot function, mm-hmm. for example? You know, And so if you can start addressing those things, if you are a functional biomechanical being, then you will express function. And if you are dysfunctional, then you will express dysfunction. Uh. You know, in the, I teach the SFMA and we call it regional regional interdependence. The, mm-hmm. the ability of something far away from the source to be the, the cause of what's going on. And yep. yeah, this is, your book is changing my outlook on that. And I'm trying to plug in for myself. Where, where do I go into those evaluations when I suspect that? So yeah. I think many other people might be out there l- looking for that. And as almost every course I've ever taken, you know, or every book you read, you realize those people are already standing in your clinic. You know, when you, you realize, Hey, hamstrings aren't always tight. In fact, they're, that's usually not the issue. They're Mm -hmm. certainly not shortened muscle. It might be reflexively tight, but when you realize that you're like, Oh my God, that changes the the game. When you realize that the thoracic spine or the thorax has such a play on shoulder health and you, Oh my God. That's why I've been struggling with Lindsay. That's why I'm struggling with uh, Joe. Reading your book and then looking at the patients I see, and I think, oh man, am I? Because one thing I'm, you know, my patients love hitting the golf ball further. Well, Mm -hmm. we always talk about being disconnected, or you know, they call it scissor posture in golf, where your your ribs are flared out and your pelvis is uh, in anterior pelvic tilt. You've seen this. I'm like, man, if you could get all of that to connect, will you produce? more distance on the golf ball. And these the are answer all, would be yes. <laughs> right. So I can tell those guys, I know you're, you're not shooting as far as you want to, but I have one reason for you. And that's because your pelvic floor sucks. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So the other thing too, I think that it's, it's important to keep in mind um, how much your patients really appreciate that you're continuing to learn. Um, and I think that, you know, all professions, any licensed profession has to do some amount of continuing education per year. And if, if you actually go into whatever education that you're doing with an open mind and the intention of actually learning something new that you can then take back into practice to improve the lives of the people that you are blessed to be able to work with, like your patients appreciate that. It's like, oh yeah, I got to go do my CEs this weekend. It's completely different than like, I just read this book because I'm a curious person and I wanted to learn more about the pelvic floor, not because like I had to do it for my continuing ed credits. Like, no, I'm, I'm continuously trying to learn every single day of my life and every single minute that I'm in practice and your patients will appreciate that. So like, if you've been struggling with Sally and her, you know, hip pain that you haven't been able to affect, and she's still having the same, you know, dysfunction that she showed up in your office with a month ago, well, what if you say, hey, you know what? I, I, I listened to this podcast and I'm, I'm looking a little bit more into this. Do you mind if we give this a try for a little bit? Like patients are so yeah. willing to do that. I've never had a patient refuse to go, undergo more testing or more accurate testing. Like I've, I've, right. Every time I've gotten a new technology, every time I've taken a course, I was like, hey, we, you mind if we run these extra try tests on you? Yeah. Sure. They're like, yeah. let's do it more data points. I don't have to create a new patient appointment with another doctor exactly. and you're just going to do more exactly. for me. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah, and, and patients are, awesome. I think patients are really appreciative of that. I actually, uh, I had seen a, a friend of mine from chiropractic college. He had, he jokingly called it his million dollar wall. He put up all of his certificates and they were all framed and everything. And uh, I mean, jokingly million dollar wall, like anybody who does continuing ed like that, yeah. it's, it adds up real quick. Um, I, I made a collage of my practice wall that I put all of my CE mm-hmm. certificates up and any like, you know, any certifying thing that I get, they all go up on my wall. And so when patients come in, they see like, oh, she's learning literally all the time. And people, like people will comment on it and they're like, oh, wow, you got a lot of things up there. I'm like, I actually have a few more that I need to put up. Like, I, I mean, I go to classes all the time because I want to learn things and patients appreciate that. Like they don't care how many letters are after your name, but what they do care about is that you're actually invested in learning more about them and about how you can help them. And so I think, you know, Mm -hmm. my hope is that I'll be able to impact more people simply because someone else read my book and they'll be able to help 
multiple other people, even if those people never read my book. Awesome. Well, speaking of reading your book, how can somebody get a hold of it? Oh, dear God, I can't even remember. I think it's called your pelvicfloorsucks.com. Um, so that, uh, that will, that basically is just going to give you a little bit of information about the book and it will redirect you to the Amazon link where you can purchase that. Um, and, uh, I do have, if, if people are interested, um, I do actually have a uh, wholesale available because there are a couple of practices around the, uh, around the United States right oh, now. If they want to do a bunch of copies you're in their office. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, well, they can reach um, out to you then, huh? Uh, yeah, there, uh, I've hold on. I legitimately forget what that email address is that I'm supposed to send people to actually, no, I remember it's work at trianglecrc.com. So if they want right. to, my triangle practice CRC is triangle is chiropractic your, and rehabilitation yeah. center. And so triangle CRC work at trianglecrc.com. That will put them in touch awesome. with my team who is going to, uh, get yeah. them set up for reselling those books Love if it. they want. Yeah. Um, also, Lindsay, let's let them know you are, uh, uh, even though you just wrote a book, you also somehow find time to practice and you find time to teach courses. So you are, you that's teach true. for. So I teach for and, Motion Palpation Institute, which mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, kind of one of those other uh, long-term dreams of mine. I went to my first MPI yeah. course and it completely changed everything about what that's I awesome. thought about chiropractic. And now I get to teach for them like that. It's such an honor. Um, and that that's how I got originally, you know, into being able to be invited to Parker events. I 100% mm -hmm. credit uh, Mark King with that. He's just, you know, the best mentor anybody could ask for. Um, and so I teach for, for them. And then I also uh, co-teach a perinatal manual care course with my friend and colleague, Dr. Erica Boland, who is now a licensed midwife as well as a chiropractor. And so uh, we go over kind of the whole gamut of taking care of pregnant and postpartum awesome. patients in that, in that course. And so um, I do those and then, you know, might pop up in a state association here and there people get in touch yeah. with me. So seminar, gotta, uh, Parker, Parker, Orlando, you're going to speak in there, right? Uh, no, I don't or think seminar so. Orlando? Or Parker. Aren't I, you I, don't, up I don't think I have any Parker right now. <laughs> I, honestly okay. don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have a Parker on my schedule right now. I don't think so. Um, I have to, I'm, cause I'm going to Parker. That's not true. I'm going to Parker for an MPI course in July. So I'll be back at Parker cool. in July. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Lindsay, as always, uh, you are a bundle of energy. I love it. Again, the book is called your pelvic floor sucks. It's available on Amazon. Um, and I think it's again, well worth the time reading it, it really repositions your thinking on the pelvic floor. Maybe it does. Maybe you're already an expert, but I think it's either way. I love the way it's written. I love what you've done. And I love what you're doing for our profession. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I gotta I I have to say this is a little uh a little extra gratitude just real quick before we wrap up because I am grateful to you because I have, you know, so if you are interested in attending the clinic gym hybrid course, I have to say how great of a class that is. So I went to that last year with one of my coaches. And we have expanded our gym offerings here, which I was encouraged to do after our first podcast because I had just kind of diminished that a little bit with COVID stuff because mm -hmm. I, you know, I was already being reported to my board for not being compliant about other things. And that's fine. My license is in good standing, but um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to push the envelope too much by having a whole bunch of fitness classes. Sure. So okay. I had kind of minimized those. And then after, you know, after talking with you, I was a little bit more inspired to, to really expand those offerings. And so, you know, our, our gym is redone and we've got, we've got a great setup and we have, you know, more classes and more offerings and we're just able to help more people in different ways. Um, and the clinic gym hybrid live course was, was really great. And it was really great to have uh, one of my coaches there with me as well, just for kind of like a little bit of extra uh, information to be shared across my team. So, yeah. So you. if you're going to sign up for that course, thank you. Mm -hmm. So if you want to check out that course at clinicgymhybrid.com, you'll look at the live courses. But what Lindsay's saying is don't just sign up once, sign up for two slots and then you'll be even happier and run a better exactly. business. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that I brought a coach with me to that because then it's yeah. not just me retelling information. I mean, 12 yeah. hours is such, or 18 hours. That course is 18 hours. Yeah. That like, that's so valuable. And it's I think the end goal is exposure. not that I don't think that most people want to have a clinic gym hybrid. The end goal is not to have yet another job you're doing and running all day. The goal right. is to hand it off. So why don't you just bring that person on the front end? Yeah. And then yeah. you don't have to take the 18 hours and dump that into somebody else's brain in like a 30 minute meeting. That doesn't work. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Bring somebody else with you and let them get the direct download. That, I mean, that was For great. Sure. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks. I will, yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, we appreciate you being on today. On behalf of, uh, like I said, the amazing and talented Dr. Lindsay Muma, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. Got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients. 